0: It's time for you to stand up. Um, I'm glad to have Ryan Frank with us. Uh, I've known him and his wife. I had the privilege of doing their premarital counseling. Uh, um, Uncle Mel do your wedding, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a little, a little challenging to have somebody in the family do your premarital counseling, so uh, we get to spend some time with them and appreciate them very much and have appreciated their ministry. Are you using this today? Um, I can. I'll point it back that way. Okay. Are you doing it or are they doing it? Uh, she can follow along, that would okay. be, that'd be there easier go. for me. Yeah. There you go, yeah, it's Lord awful. bless you. I'll just <clears throat> yeah, I was afraid if I did the marital counseling with my uncle, everything would be the Frank way, so now we, we live light, the Lunsford way. So No, we were blessed to have uh, Dave work with us. I am grateful to be able to be here. Uh, basically, ba- the whole message can be summed up this way, God is good. Um, this last summer, we had our opportunity to go to my friend's ranch. He lives uh, in Idaho, where I grew up with him. And his dad uh, bought a couple square miles of ranch up in the hills. And he said, hey, let's, let's spend our summer vacation there. So he invited us over there. And we were sitting there in the summertime, looking out. And it's just a beautiful place. And you know, I came to the realization at that point that there is just nothing I can complain about. You know, I, there are things that are challenging out there in this world. There are things that are challenging in the ministry, but I am just blessed. And, and if you were to give your testimony, you could probably say the same thing. I mean, yeah, there's things out there that you, you don't like so much, but God has blessed us, and He's good. So that's what we're going to take a time and, and look at this morning. We saw, hi me, you see my family there, we already introduced them. Uh, this we took while we were down in Texas visiting Rebecca's uh, brother down there, and this was about a year ago, but you can see we all took our family shot, and everybody but my son, he's got kind of a strange look on his face, but that's just just the way he is, so we'll see. Uh, he's, he's a real joy, and we'll see what the next boy is like. The next picture up there is is our church. Uh, If you weren't here in Sunday school, you could see it now and get kind of a picture of it. We uh, live in Cathlamet, Washington, which is in the southwest corner of Washington. And we are on the Columbia River. Uh, What you see there, the waterway is not the Columbia. That's a little small for it. But that is a slough that opens up into the island that we live on, or we don't live on, but the church is on. And um, there's a dock right there. You can kind of see the dock on the other side of the saloon that goes to the church. So uh, the nice thing is is we have a boat that we can park there, and we go to church. And then afterwards, we can go out to the beach or something like that. So it's kind of one of those perks that uh, not all churches have, I guess. But uh, that's one of the things you add to the list of God is good. I mean, there's just so many things that you could really add to it. Um, you know, you think about... Uh, everything that goes on. And one of the things that that I am convinced of is that one of the worst testimonies to Jesus Christ in our life is to go out and whine and complain about our lives. We claim that we are followers of Christ. We claim that He is gracious, He is good, He is loving, He is kind, He is gentle, all those kind of things. And then we go out into the world, we are Christians, and we complain about what's going on. What kind of a testimony is that? Jesus Christ we say he is good we say he is great he is wonderful he has saved us he has given us hope but boy my life is terrible it stinks how does that work it doesn't make much sense does it so this summer as I was there in Idaho thinking about it this is kind of where this message came from and it's just simply looking at the word good throughout scripture So it's titled, The Good Word, Good. And you look at the word good, and you start right off the bat in Genesis, and that's where you find the word good. So this part I'm going to have you looking in your Bibles, because it's really the whole chapter of 1 Genesis here, and uh, then we will move into uh, having some of the verses up above. Genesis 1, starting with verse 4, you will see how God, the good's first appearance, call it that first of all we're going to personify the word good here for a moment and say good's first appearance in scripture refers to god's original creation and i have their original underline it's different than creation now and you'll see what i mean when we read through this verse 4 of genesis 1 it says god saw that light was good and and he separated light from the darkness you go to verse 10 there it says god called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called the seas and god saw that it was good you go to verse 12 and you're talking about the vegetation the plants and all of that at the end of there verse 12 it says and god saw that it was good kind of get the idea here right Uh, verse 18 uh, he gave the the sky uh, the the sun and the moon to govern the day and the night and and god saw that it was good Uh, verse 24 you see again this word uh, or excuse me verse 25 it says he made the animals and all those that walk upon the land and he saw that it was good and then verse 31 after he had made everything god saw all that he had made and it was very good so here's God. He is the almighty creator, the powerful God. He is he's speaking things into existence. He steps back. He looks at what he has created. And he says, it's very good. Now, if you're like me, you may have created something in your life. You've made something, fashioned something. And when you step back, you are usually the worst critic, right? You can pick apart something. And it could be across the room and you see it. And you could see the slightest little flaw. Because we know that there is a flaw in it. But God's different. He's a holy, perfect God. And when he stands back, he's able to see, my work is good. And so that's why he's able to say it's very good. To God, he, it's in the way we understand it here in the text, good means it's pleasing, it's acceptable. What he created is pleasing and acceptable. Now, if you fast forward into Genesis chapter 6, you'll see that he looks at his creation and he's filled with sorrow. What's the big difference? Well, you put in between there the fall. Adam and Eve, they sinned. And when sin came into the world, all of a sudden his creation, it wasn't so good anymore because now there's sin in it. So that's why I say it refers to God's original creation. It was good. It was very good. Once again, and we'll go full circle by the end, once again, because of Christ, God can look at the world again and say, it's good. And we'll see how we get there. Well, let's take a look at the way we apply good or the way Scripture applies good throughout, uh, throughout the whole book. First of all, it's to the one who endures, it's to the one who performs, and it's about the one who saves. Now, you could talk, I mean, the word good appears in a lot of different places, so you could have a lot of, of points here. I'm just going to reserve it for these three. 2 Chronicles 7.3, to the one who endures, says this, When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down in the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement and their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Now this, the context behind it is the dedication of the temple. You've got Solomon. He's just built the temple. He's done it according to the specs that David laid out. He's, he's designed the worship service according to what David has, has said. And they have begun their worship. And God comes in and reveals a little bit of his glory. And he shows them that he has stamped his approval on this temple. And they are humbled. And they say, wow, God is good. His love has endured forever. And they know it from personal experience. From the time of of Abraham to Jacob and then, you know, having his sons and a lot of the problems there. And then they go into Egypt and their slavery, they're broken out by Moses. They go into the wilderness and they're continually up and down as they they go into the promised land. The time of the judges, the time of the kings. And uh, their following God is is just a, a continual roller coaster. At times they love God, they serve God, they worship Him, and other times they're falling away into immorality, idolatry, and those types of things. Then they cry out to God and they go back up to that mountaintop and then back down again. They're constantly up and down. And they look back throughout their history and I think that's what leads them to say, He is good because His love endures. And you and I can step back from that and we can say the same thing. How many times have we thought and promised that, hey, we're going to do this for the Lord. We're going to go out there and be dynamite Christians, loving Him, serving Him. And then we get out there and it's not like we thought it was going to be. And we fall. Praise be to God that He is patient. Praise be to God that His love endures. He is good. That's something that we can remember that no matter how Far we slip away, God is is just right around the corner. We can call out to Him. He's there. He's patient. His love endures. Another way we see good being applied to God is in the way He performs. Psalm 34, 8. This has become uh, probably my, my favorite verse as I've looked at this word good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, when I have read that throughout the years and up until just recently, I'll see those words, taste and see, and I'll take them metaphorically to mean, you know, it's to experience, it's to, to check out, to see that God is good. This time I read through and I thought, you know, literally, that's exactly what it means. Taste, taste. And see. How many times have you gone to a restaurant and you've given compliments to the chef because of what they've created and you've thought, wow, this tastes great? How many times have you dug into that pie or those cookies and you think, wow, this tastes great? Well, who created it that way? Who gave flavor flavor? Who gave you the ability to taste? It wasn't that cook. Who made seasoning? Who made sugar and chocolate? Praise God. <laughs> Amen. You got it. You, you, you got it. Taste and see. I and mean, Take this literally. How good is God? And we in America, we know how to eat. And obviously we're not too ashamed of it. We have that, that wonderful ability. This is just two of the senses that we have. Wonderful ability to taste. And this has changed a little bit of my prayer life when I sit down to have a dinner. You know, uh, for years, I always prayed something about, you know, thank you, Lord, for this food. Thank you for the ones who made it. Uh, Thank you that you've used it to strengthen our bodies. Or please, Lord, even though it's not good for us, strengthen our bodies with it. Uh, You know, something like that. (laughs) Now, it's like, pray for those things, but also, Lord, thank you that we can taste it. What a blessing. Those are some of the things that God has made that is good. How about the ability to see? What a blessing that is. It's still amazing to me to look out at, at the creation, and probably more amazing than it ever has been. I appreciate it more maybe. But you look at a tree. I mean, just take a, a simple tree. It's not so simple. How is it that a seed falls into the ground and is able to, to germinate? And we can memorize you know, all those scientific names and try to explain it, but really, do we know how it, how it does it? How it works? How does that seed say, hey, I'm just going to fall down and, and all of a sudden I'm going to grow these roots and it's going to take nutrients and it's going to form into a, a solid substance like a tree? And it's going to take the sun in and the water in and all of a sudden we're going to be able to one day go out there, chop it down and build a house with it. That's amazing. It really is. Or let's take you know, something far more complex, a person, a child. How is it that you could feed that child milk? How is it that you could feed him vegetables and fruit? And somehow that energy goes into him and transforms into a brain, muscle tissue, blood. How is it that that energy can be used to think, taste and see what God has done? It's amazing. He is good. That's why I like that verse so much. Those are just two of the senses. You can carry it on, couldn't you? It's all these senses that we have. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the man who humbles himself before the Lord, before this awesome, amazing, all-powerful God and realizes what he has done and humbles himself before the Lord to take refuge refuge in him. That's another way you can apply the word good or the way Scripture applies the word good. Now the third way you can see that good is applied is to our Savior about the one who saves us. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. You probably remember this. It's read probably every Christmas. Uh, Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There the shepherds are. Angels show up. I bring you good news. When God hears the news, when God proclaimed the news, it was good, it was pleasing, and it was acceptable. To God, that his son would come, that his son would be born, his son would be able to live out the ministry, and then one day go to the cross for you and I. That was good news. We go out and we proclaim the same thing, we proclaim the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. It is good. It's not something we should be ashamed of. It's not something we should say, here you go, here's the good news. Now I want to tell you, as a Christian, you're going to probably struggle a little bit. You're going to suffer a little bit. And we do that a lot. And it's true, it's going to be hard. But it's also going to be great. It's also going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful to know your Savior all the days of your life. It's good news. God is good. That's the way you would apply that word in Scripture. Now, you go through a Scripture, and you'll see a couple other cases where good appears, and one of them is to be good's opponents. It's going to go against God what is pleasing and acceptable to God. And that's in Romans 3, 9 through 12. This is what it says. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. We are good's opponents. We are the ones who will oppose God and what is pleasing and acceptable. You could throw in another verse in there. Our, our works and, and what we do. Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, All of us have become like uh, one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are filthy rags. We try to do good. We try to do right. And in our own uh, strength, it is just as filthy rags to God. For the majority of people, who will even sometimes claim themselves to be Christians, uh, they think that they are trying to please God by what they do, by their good works. And we know in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Why? So you won't boast about it. Oftentimes we we think, well, if I do something good, then I can kind of pat myself on the back that God's going to look down at me and say, well, my good and faithful son. He's talking about his son, Jesus Christ, there. That's his good and faithful son. That doesn't mean that we're not to try to do good works. Verse 10 goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God wants us to serve and honor him. As a response to what he's done for us. But in one sense we are as unbelievers working against God. And when we come to a point where we accept him as our Lord and Savior. We see that we are no longer his opponent but we have received his hope. Good good gives hope. A couple other Things. Now, these verses here aren't going to refer to the word good. I just want to take it full circle so when we complete the message, you understand how we get from one point where God says His original creation is good to where He can still say today, it's good. And this is how God gives good to good's opponent. Now, actually, I, I left a word out there because it's kind of a tongue twister, which is supposed to be that way to make you think. A good God gives good to good's opponent. In other words, God's really gracious. A good God gives good to good's opponents. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because we were going in a different direction, because we maybe try to please God on our own, because maybe we don't even care about God, at least that's the way the world lives, uh, you come to a point where you realize In your own personal life, hopefully you come to this point where you realize things aren't right between God and I. And God knew that. Looking down from heaven, He could see. Looking from where He he saw His creation, He could see it's no good anymore. There's something that needs to change. And so He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, who became sin for us. He lived the righteous life. He lived the perfect life. He's the one God can say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, because he is righteous. And then he looks to you and I, and if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then he gives us his righteousness, his goodness, that which pleases God. The next verse I'll take you to is 1 John 2.2, 2, and this is what it says. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Another translation, New American Standard, says He is the propitiation. That means that He is the one who pleases God, Jesus Christ. When He came to this earth, He lived that perfect life. He went to the cross. When He died upon the cross, He took all our sins upon Himself. Three days later, He rose from the dead to offer us new life. That act pleased God the Father. And if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we too... Please God the Father, not because of what we've done, our works, but because of what we've accepted. Now John first John, I'm going to read the first verse there as well, because I think that concludes everything here and is a really vivid picture in my mind. First John chapter two says, "My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin." We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here's the picture that I see in my mind, and I can't tell you that this is exactly how it's happening. But here's the judgment, the final judgment. And here we go, we're standing before God. God, God has already said that you know, He's forgiven us. But as we go there, we know that we still remember, don't we? We remember the things we've done, the sins we've done. And as we go before God, I think there could be a time where we will feel guilty. Maybe we'll even have an accuser that will bring up some of the things we've done. Maybe we have an accuser right now, like you see in Job, who's bringing up the things we do. Well, the Bible tells us that he is our, in our defense, Jesus Christ. Is in our defense. Could you imagine being there and maybe Satan the accuser is standing there and he's telling God the Father, Look, there's there's Ryan again. Look at what he just did. He's supposedly a follower of you. And here my Savior walks up and he says, That's why I died on the cross. That's why I gave my life. Because of what he's just done. He is the one who speaks in our defense. He is a good Savior. Praise God for that. Because you and I could not come and give excuses before God the Father. That doesn't work. We cannot explain it away. But we can come to our Savior's feet and ask for His forgiveness. And He says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for that. Now today God is able to look at his creation because of his son and what he has done. The Bible tells us he's reconciled the world to himself. He's reconciled us. The circle's gone all the way around. His original creation, he saw that it's very good. Today he sees that it's good through his son. He sees that you and I are righteous. You and I are good through his son. We have nothing to complain about, do we? Maybe things don't always go the way we want them to. But in eternal life that we have, we have a Savior who stands in our defense, and we have a God, Father, Creator, who says we are good through His his Son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank You for Your message and Your truth. Thank You that through Your Son, Jesus Christ, that You have given us righteousness. We thank you that we cannot stand up here and on our own behalf and can claim it, that it's because of what your son Jesus has done. Lord, as a church, as missionaries, as followers of Christ, help us to take that message to other people. That we would not go out and be ashamed, that we would not go out and complain, but that we would go out boldly and proclaim your gospel for how great it is. You are so good, and we have received So many blessings from you. Thank you. Thank you for our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.